0: Good. Well, that helps me so they don't have to project nearly as loud as possible, but uh, well, the, the sermon series I've been preaching to my students at Christopher Newport University uh, recently has been titled The Pandemic and Stories of Hope, stories going through both the Old and New Testament, stories of both hope, but also uh, stories of uh, deep emotional honesty, and um, And I think that's really helpful in times like this, in times of chaos and brokenness all around us, not just happening now in our cities because of what has happened um, in Minnesota, but obviously because of COVID-19 and many other things as well. And so certainly uh, we need these stories and these perspectives that the Bible gives to us, that there is healthy emotions we as Christians can have and we can emote, but yet there's also hope Truly amongst all this brokenness, all this chaos, this sickness and death, and even separation. And so uh, I've been preaching through these stories, and the story we're going to talk about today is the story of Lazarus. And if you're not familiar with the story of Lazarus, uh, I'm going to tell you, it is a phenomenal and a powerful story that comes to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And we are going to look at the 44 verses, but we're going to break them down into three bite-sized chunks so we can kind of work through them step by step. I uh, like my food, I like to have things slow cooked, I like to simmer, right? I like to have a lot of flavor, and so we're gonna approach the text that way. We're gonna kind of read a text, jump into it, talk about it, and then keep moving forward that way. Because there's just so much life and richness in what we have in our passage today. But the question I want to kind of ask, um, and I want to really have it in the back of your mind as we walk through John chapter 11, is, uh, what should our response be to all this brokenness? That's happening maybe in our lives, in our families, and our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, maybe in our bank accounts, wherever it might be. What should our response be to all of this right now? How are we to handle ourselves? What ought to be the Christian response to all of this? And Jesus models actually what our response ought to be in this passage. And so I want you to take note of that question, and then also see what Jesus models because he models quite a lot. He's both divine, but he's also human. And we see both of these qualities about our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. And that's exactly what we're going to do as we take a look at the story of Lazarus. Um, But before we do, join me in prayer, and let's just dive right into the text. But join with me in prayer. Lord, you are faithful. You are kind. Lord, you are gracious. You are merciful. But Lord, you also are gentle. Lord, you do not love the chaos that is happening. Lord, in our lives, in our world, Lord, in our cities, in our homes, our places of work, Lord, you do not love, Lord, the brokenness that has entered, Lord, into creation. And Lord, which troubles us this day and the days moving forward. But Lord, you do work in and through it. But Lord, even though you do work in and through that chaos and you bring beauty, Lord, from from death, you bring life even through death. Lord, you are also, you display your great qualities, Lord. You empathize with us. Lord, you reveal yourself to us in the quiet moments, in our weak moments, Lord, and you reveal that you are a God who is also intimate, Lord, with us, that you are with us, that you understand, that you know the pain, the difficulty, the trials, the tribulations that we're going through, and that, Lord, you are a gentle God. But, Lord, we also have hope that not only do you understand, Lord, what we're going through, what our neighbors are going through, But Lord, we also love you because you have great power. Lord, we have hope, Lord, that this chaos is not all that there is, but actually that you make order and sense out of the chaos. And Lord, it is because of that, Lord, we look to you as a holy, worthy, and beautiful, and powerful God. That, Lord, it is truly you who we lean on this morning and every day forward, Lord. Help us to lean into you. Help us to read your word, to gain biblical, eternal perspectives on our circumstances. But Lord, thank you that uh, we can also uh, express healthy emotions, uh, Lord, very human emotions as we go through all these troubles. Lord, thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, that you truly do work beauty and chaos. Lord, we love you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, let's look at verses in chapter 11, verses one through 16. And this point is titled Sickness and Death. So if you guys have a Bible, Let's read those, or if you have electronic, uh, we'll do that as well. Verses one through sixteen, chapter eleven. This is what it says. Now a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse three. So the sisters sent to him, saying, "Lord, whom you love is ill." But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was in fact ill, he stayed where he was two days longer. And verse 7, Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you now going to go there again? He answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, then he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that Lazarus was actually resting and sleeping. Then Jesus told his disciples plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you might believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with Lazarus as well. Right? And also with Jesus possibly, right? So, end of text. Now, what we have here in the story, main elements, is an ill man, Lazarus. We know he's incredibly sick. With what kind of illness? We do not know. The text does not uh, tell us what kind of illness or sickness it is, but he's incredibly sick. We know that he is loved because it says very much in this text that Jesus knows him by name. He loves him, loves his family. There's an intimate connection between Jesus and this person, right? So there is a a love and a kindness and a caring nature that has already been built between Jesus and Lazarus. But what we also have is messengers being sent, right, very soon because of this illness to Jesus. But do we see Jesus rushing to his side to be with him right away? Do we see Jesus feeling the urgency of Lazarus' situation? Maybe not so much, right? What does the text say? What we see here is Jesus, as he's responding to this messenger that's being sent to him, he says to his disciples and to this messenger, this illness will not lead in death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. But the problem is, if a messenger had been sent, it means that Lazarus is in grave danger. He is on his deathbed. They did not have the cell phones, right? They did not have the the lifts and the Ubers and all the, the modern transportation, the cars and vehicles that we have today, planes, trains, automobiles, also a great movie. But they did not have these things, right, to simply send a messenger or the U.S. Postal Office to send a quick message to get to Jesus just like that. So there's an urgency that this messenger, right, with his message would have been sharing with Jesus. This is a big deal. Come be with him. We know you're powerful. You've done other miracles. What are you waiting for, right? Emergency. What's going on? But does Jesus appear to you in this text as an anxious person? Great suffering, friends, going through great trials. Is he overly concerned? Is he ruffled, caught off guard by this? He is not, right? Is he worried for his friend's life? He does not seem to be, right? Like you or I might be. If we got news that somebody contracted COVID-19 and they were very ill, we would be pretty worried, right? Probably we would be. Jesus, he has a different take, right? He also has a different power than we do and different perspective. But what we see here is instead of Jesus sensing this urgency to react, what do we see? We see him delay, actually. And he speaks with a different authority than you or I over what's happening here. And he says, this will not end in death, right? And that's why he stays where he is for two more days. You would think that he would want to rush just to comfort Mary and Martha, right? Or just to be there for the last moments of his friend and his death. But he says there are bigger things that are being worked through this situation, through this chaos, through this illness, through this death, that you cannot possibly comprehend. And the implication is, is because you are not God and Jesus is. Right, And there's an aspect of this. Jesus is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows all things. He works in and through all things. He says, our friend is yet just but asleep. And when I go, I will awaken him. There's authority in those words. If you understand what Jesus is saying, he gets it. He says he's fallen asleep and I will awaken him. You have to understand Jesus is saying, I have the power. I know what I'm doing, trust me, right? But what do the disciples think? They're like, Whew. right? We're not terrible people. We're not rushing, we've delayed, we're staying. He's not gonna die, he's not dead, it's gonna be okay, he's only sleeping, we're not too late, all right, great. So Jesus clarifies, he says, no, 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 you don't understand, Lazarus has died, even in the time in which the messenger was sent from Mary and Martha to us, he has died. And guess what? I'm glad we weren't there. I'm glad you weren't there. Is what he's saying to them. You don't understand. And the important phrase here is, so that what? You might believe. What's bigger? What's more amazing? What's more life-altering? Jesus going to heal possibly Lazarus of disease, an intense cough, whatever it is, an incredibly uh, just uh, vicious fever, or him possibly granting a life when a person's been dead, right? Jesus knows some things that his disciples don't know, but his words are pretty striking, essentially because the disciples, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's happening, but essentially he says, I'm glad we weren't there. He's already dead. But it's so that the glory of God might be revealed. Not my glory, not, not the glory of this, but so the glory of the Father might be shown. And I'm going to show you the glory of the Father. I'm going to show you his power. I'm going to show you his perspective, the beauty in which he can do, and the power that he has to raise life. And if any of you have seen uh, the Avenger, Avengers movie, the last one, especially Endgame, You know there, Thanos has a great power with with the infinity stones and this little gauntlet hand that he has that he can snap and destroy life or create life. And what you're getting the picture is, essentially, Jesus is saying this, except this isn't fiction, this is reality here. And he's saying, I have these powers, and my powers are infinitely more powerful than any infinity stone in the modern Marvel movie, right? But that's the image that he is pressing upon his people and amidst the turmoil, the chaos that they probably would have been feeling and the emotions that they would have been feeling for their friend, right? But let's look further. Let's look at verses 17 through 27. What does it say? The text says in verse 17, says, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. He's been dead for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, well, I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her in response, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this he says to her point blank and she says to jesus yes lord i believe that you are the christ the son of god who is coming into the world now the reason why we're even told that john the apostle or author is telling us that lazarus's body has been in the tomb for four days is for kind of two things here. One, Jesus took his time getting to Lazarus, really emphasizing that point. But two, also that Lazarus wasn't asleep, he wasn't half dead, he was all dead, 100%, right? And so, what we have here is an aspect of the the just the, the fact that there would be odor emanating from his even his body. That that this would be a, a, a a tough time for anybody who would even go to the tomb that maybe even odors might seep out of them he's very much not alive right but then also there's another aspect to the four days of time which uh, which john gives us is that there is a jewish superstition that believed the soul actually of a dead person stays around the body for three days and some jews actually believed this that the soul was maybe floating above or staying around the body for three days, and so waiting to the fourth day would mean that, okay, the soul would have already departed and would have gone away, even if that superstition is true. Now, clearly that superstition is what it is, a superstition, but some Jews believed it. So even Jesus coming on the fourth day was getting rid of any of these thoughts and ideas that the soul could have just re-entered, and oh, what Jesus does, rising right him and pulling him out of the grave, was really no big deal, because the soul was like on hand right next to him. So he's doing a lot actually right here and even his delaying and his waiting in so many different ways. But what do we have also? We have a picture of great sadness. We have a picture of great sorrow and very much stark picture of death. We even have professional mourners who are spending time with Martha and Mary. They came from Jerusalem. People who would aid in the grief and the mourning and the crying, understanding the severity of this loss and of this death. There would probably even be professional musicians playing dirge music, deep, dark, ominous music following procession of people, helping them mourn because of actually knowing the finality of what had just taken place and happened. And so that's the mental picture of actually what's happening here that Jesus is entering into. And what does Martha say to Jesus? She does not say it sarcastically. She says it truthfully. I know, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know whatever you ask God, God will give it to you. He will grant it to you. You could have healed him, but you didn't. Please don't strike me with lightning. I know you can do it. I know you have power but I'm a little frustrated with the situation right now, with the loss of my brother, understandably so. But also, you weren't even with us to comfort us or to comfort my brother, to be with him in his dying breath. Where were you? Legitimate frustration, right? Possibly. But what does Jesus say to her, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they shall still live Everyone who believes in me, who trusts me, puts their hope in me, will never be disappointed in this life or the life to come. Martha, do you believe this? My friends, do you believe this? Do your friends believe this? Your coworkers, your family members believe this? Jesus says to Martha, continuing, he says, I know you're a faithful Orthodox Jew who, who knows knows the Old Testament scriptures, that there is going to be a future resurrection, that that's going to happen. But he's pointing to something infinitely more personal. He says, I'm the resurrection. This future event, you know who holds the power over that? Life and death? That's me at the end of time. That the resurrection of dead, I hold that kind of power. That's what he's saying when she confronts Jesus with, you should have been here. And He's like, do you understand the presence that you're standing in the power that i have do you understand who i truly am do you believe in me right and i think i like c.s lewis's quote in mere christianity although he's addressing liberalism in different ways in mere christianity he has a really wonderful quote that kind of strikes to the heart of this issue that jesus is really asking martha who do you say that i am do you believe in me C.S. Lewis says Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, but he's not just a good moral teacher because Jesus' own words do not allow it, which is true. So Jesus has to be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And Jesus essentially is asking Martha, who do you say that I am? Am I all good and all powerful? Am I God incarnate? Do I have power over life and death? Do you believe it? He is actually asking that. And he says, I do. I have control over all things. I am life, and I'm the one who grants life to those who put their trust and faith in me. And so we see a divine nature of Jesus flowing in this part of the passage. But this next part of this passage, as we look at verses 28 through 44, we see also the human side, which is incredibly important for us to also grasp. We see in verses 28 through 44, the text tells us this. When Martha had said she believed, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to Jesus. Now Jesus had not come into the village of Bethany, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house were consoling her, they saw Mary rise quickly and go out They followed after her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him, Lazarus? And they said to the Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, well, see, see Jesus' emotional response. See how he loved him. But some said, well, could not Jesus have opened the eyes of the blind man? Then, Then couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus was deeply outraged again, and he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. And the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and prayed and said to the father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this, he says, wonderfully, right? That if Jesus had not specifically said the name Lazarus, that all of the dead would have awoken and come out of their graves. You understand the power? Matthew Henry gets it. He gets it when he drops that quote in his commentary. He is saying this is not just good news for Lazarus, it is. Not just good news for everybody who's witnessing there, it is. But he's also pointing to the power of, over his future resurrection, Jesus, which is not gonna be too long from now, but then he's also solidifying and reminding that yes, the future resurrection of all is coming too. And that's good news. You have that hope to look for, that this life isn't all that there is and this body is not all that there is. It will be renewed. The apostle Paul echoes this and reminds us of this great news in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, "'For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, "'so we believe that God will bring with Jesus "'those who have fallen asleep in him. "'According to the Lord's word, "'we tell you that we who are still alive, "'who are left until the coming of the Lord, "'will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. "'For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, "'and with a loud command and a voice of the archangel "'with the trumpet call of God, "'and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will all be with the Lord forever. Therefore, application, encourage one another with these words. Share this good news, this hope that we have, that there's more to our sense of death, that there's actually life after death as well. Encourage one another that COVID-19 does not get the last say. Cancer does not get the last say. Any separation or distance that we might be experiencing is not the last say. Anything that this world has to throw at us does not have the last say. But God has the last say because he is the author and controller, sustainer of all of life. And what we see in him calling Lazarus out of the grave is his display of power over life and death. And he's also reminding us that that is also our future hope as well too, that there is life after death, that it's not just a void of nothingness, but that there's your hope that we are with God, communing with God in peace, in paradise. Just as Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Very much a real place. That is a place we want to be. Well, Jeff, how do you know some of the legitimacy of of what Jesus is saying? Well, I'll give you a hint. A little later on in the Gospel of John, you see a whole lot of Jews wanting to kill and murder Lazarus, and then we also see them coming to stone Jesus once again. So why would these Judaizers want to kill Lazarus if he wasn't actually risen from the dead, historically speaking? Or if Jesus really didn't do something that powerful, why would these Judaizers want to also kill him and stone him and hunt him down like a fugitive? So there's some historical legitimacy to the beauty of this, right? Even just in the text itself, why would they go after them? Jesus puts on a display of power. He shows his divinity, but he also shows his humanity. How did he respond? He was outraged. Deeply moved in spirit. The German translation of this is actually better. It's outraged, not just deeply, right? Moved in spirit, but outraged at sin and death and the effects of sin and death. Because God made this world, Genesis 1 and 2, good and everything in it. We broke it, Genesis 3, as sin entered the world. And so Jesus, staring at sin and death and the effects of sin and death, he is sad. He's sorrowful, he's outraged at the power, at the disruption, at the level of brokenness that we experience as his image bearers, but also that the world, also which images our God, is also broken too. The full cumulative effects of brokenness. And staring at that dark void of death and sickness and illness, he's outraged. He weeps for his friend. Does he have power over life and death? Absolutely, right? We know that he does. But we also see the humanity, the unnatural nature of sickness and death that ought not be. And it is also healthy for us to understand that we have a place for healthy emotions of of sadness and of sorrow when we go through the trials and tribulations that we go through. It's okay to be sad. It's okay that we're not okay because things are not okay in our world right now. And so we have to know that. Jesus, when he publicly prays, he's praying on behalf of those who are listening. He's reminding them, God hears your prayers. You don't get a a busy signal. He's not, right, uh, uncaring, aloof. But Jesus prays and then shows the power of prayer to remind everybody who's witnessing that there is a God who hears our prayers. He cares, he intimately listens, and that he delights to respond and show his glory in power, in weakness, in sickness, and in death. And so my friends, even though when the things we go through in these days are not fun, they are not easy, Christian triumphalism, the idea that we just should press on, be good shol- soldiers, and, and not shed tears is, is a false premise. Our Lord Jesus Christ, looking into the face of sickness and death, sheds tears, which is healthy, which is good. But it's not all there is. There's also hope. There's resurrection. He has power. It is both and. And so, just as much as a healthy response to what's going on in our world and our life is sadness and sorrow, we also have hope that it's not the end and that God works in and through the chaos to bring beauty. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are kind. Lord, you are the one who rights all wrongs, who brings justice where there is injustice. Lord, you are the one who raises us, Lord, from death to life, both spiritually, Lord, and physically, Lord. And we look to you, Lord, for all hope in this life. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that on the death, Lord, on the cross, it's not the end. But Lord, you rose victoriously, Lord, three days later. Lord, showing your might and your power, your faithfulness, Lord, your steadfastness, Lord and also leading the way that, Lord, your future is our future and that we get that. Thank you for that reminder.